I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. If you haven't done so already, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. This morning I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. Let me set it up like this. Uh, I'm sure in some of y'all's families you've got um, stories that you could tell about uh, what family members have done and just rememberable uh, things, and those stories get passed along, and sometimes they get inflated, uh, maybe a little bit. I have an uncle who could be uh, very persuasive. Uh, he was, he did like to joke around and kind of create situations that weren't totally true, so to speak. Um, there's one story about him that goes like this: when his boys were teenagers, uh, they went on a skiing trip. It went to uh, North Carolina, so some ski place in, in North Carolina. And he loved to take pictures. He loved to take photographs of things. And this is before cell phone cameras. Uh, this is before digital cameras, okay? This is a while back, and he had, uh, these, had a nice camera out, probably a big, kind of looked like a professional camera that we would recognize today. And he had it out there. I mean, this is a skiing family trip. You're going to take pictures. And so he's out there kind of stationed at the end of one of the slopes, and it was one of the more advanced slopes. And so you've got quality skiers that are coming down this, and he was there taking pictures of his sons as they were coming down to remember and reflect upon those later on. And again, he must have looked kind of professional out there with his gear and his disposition. And this one skier kind of sidled up to him, and he says, what are you doing? Because he's got the gear on. This, is, he's probably, this skier was probably in his early 20s or something, he stops and asks him, you know, what are you doing? He says, well, I work for Sports Illustrated, and I'm taking pictures of uh, skiers coming down. Which out, he didn't even skip a beat. He did not work for Sports Illustrated. He sold chemicals to farmers, okay? And so this guy's like, that's pretty cool. And he just kind of moves away. And my uncle was just stationed there for a while. And he noticed as people were coming down that he was getting more people coming his way and he was getting more younger people coming his way, and he was getting more people hitting these ski jumps right there as the advanced slope that were doing more and more wilder things, more riskier things, because word had spread that there's a photographer for Sports Illustrated at the bottom of the slope. And so he's getting all these skiers come at him, and he's run out of film. I mean, this is, they didn't have digital then, and he, but he's still just clicking away, just playing it up big time. And then this one kid comes down, and he tries something that he shouldn't have tried, and he just lands flat. I mean, it's ugly. He just crashes and burns big time. And my uncle's like, okay, it's time to walk away. And he just grabs his gear and just kind of slides away and walks off the slope there. This morning, we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to see an individual that he thinks he's persuaded about something. He thinks he knows something is true, and when he confronts, or not confronts, but when he meets Jesus, he's going to see, you know, maybe I don't really understand. Maybe I'm thinking something is true and it's not really true at all. Let's stand together and let's read John chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 through 21 for us. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's wombs to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is God's word, and it's absolutely true. Let's pray together. Father, we pray and ask that this incident would have resonance in our own hearts and our own minds. Give us understanding, give us clarity, give us faith. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Our culture today has different terms to describe uh, Christians, uh, particularly as we're entering into a uh, season of, of politics and voting, and uh, we'll hear about polls and what different segments of the population thinks about particular candidates, and um, the, the pollsters and the TV commentators will have different labels for Christians. There's, you know, maybe they'll say maybe liberal Christians or mainline Christians or conservative Christian. Uh, certainly evangelical Christian is, is a popular uh, label uh, for individuals. But there's also the label sometimes that gets tossed about is, is born again. They'll say that they're a born again Christian. And sometimes we hear that, and I, I hear it often in the context of a sense of, of of negativity about that, uh, of looking down. They, they'll say born again. What they mean is very conservative or very extreme. Or somebody that's born again, they've had this religious experience or some kind of emotional experience. Or even somebody's born again, they're a part of some kind of cult, some kind of clique that's, that's kind of taking mastery over them. It's used in kind of an extreme, maybe negative way. That may be the case, but Jesus in his teaching, in the teaching of the Bible, uh, talks about how essential being born again is for a believer. To be a Christian is to be born again. It's part of the, uh, the story of, of conversion, if you will. 
And Jesus is, is very clear, very frank as he's having this discussion with Nicodemus about the necessity of being born again. And so to unpack this, what I want to do this morning is just really answer three questions that the, about being born again. I want to talk about the need to be born again. Where, how do we see that in this passage? Um, I want to talk about what does it mean to be born again? And then finally, how do you know? How do you know if you're born again? First, the need. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Nicodemus. What do we know about Nicodemus, and how does that knowledge of him help us understand uh, that the need to be born again? Nicodemus, as you see in the beginning of the passage, he's a Pharisee. And what that means is, if there is any Jewish group that believed in the Bible, nobody believed in the Bible more so than the Pharisees. Uh, they took God's word very seriously, took God's law very seriously, and very intentional about keeping the law as best as they could. It's one thing. Uh, we know that Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel. Uh, not only is he a Pharisee, but he's one of the leaders in this group. He's a teacher. He's a man of knowledge. He's a man of, of education. He's a man of background. He's got uh, he, some kind of position of influence, some kind of influ- uh, position of leadership, and he's coming to Jesus like this. We see, too, that Nicodemus has an opinion about Jesus. There's a sense of respect, maybe, that he has for Jesus. He comes to him uh, knowing that, saying to him, I, I know that you are a, a gifted teacher, a special teacher, a, a, a good teacher. In verse 2, that's drawn out for us. And we see, too, that Nicodemus comes at night, which is an unusual time to come. Either he's coming because he don't want to be criticized by his friends and family for, for talking to Jesus, or maybe he's coming at night because he wants to have a long-form conversation with Jesus. Uh, to talk about some specific things, to get his questions answered, and he doesn't want to be interrupted. But regardless, th- th- this understanding of Nicodemus really does help us um, in the sense that if anybody is qualified to be in a relationship with God, to know God, it would be hard perhaps to find somebody more qualified than Nicodemus. I mean, if you had to choose your neighbor, you want Nicodemus as your neighbor because you know he's going to be uh, following the Bible. He's going to be a good neighbor. He's qualified, if on paper at least, you would think, to know God and to be in relationship with him. But think about Jesus' response to him right off the bat in verse 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of God which seems kind of odd. Nicodemus is coming to him and saying, man, you're a great teacher and you do these incredible signs. And then Jesus, just it feels like he just lays into him, you've got to be born again. Uh, you've got to, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And he is very emphatic about this. Uh, unless you're born again, you, you cannot uh, be a Christian in a sense. You cannot call yourself a Christian because being born again is part of that process. It's like he's saying to Nicodemus, I, I know you have your life together. I, I know you have a position of influence. I know you know the Bible. I know you, you, you do uh, the right things, but you still need to be born again if you want to see and know and enter the kingdom of God. For example, maybe think about it like this. Have you ever wondered, you'll see individuals who, um, you'll see a group of individuals that hear a sermon, 
and that sermon has a different impact on them. Some will walk away from a, a particular sermon, and they'll say, man, that was really helpful. That was really impactful for me, or it was really convicting for me. And it'll have this, a, a deep effect on them. And other times, there'll be other people who heard the same sermon, and, and it didn't have that effect on them at all. Or people are hear the same passage, they'll read the same passage, and they'll have a sense of conviction about something. And one person will be like, man, I, I know I really messed up. And they'll pray and ask for forgiveness, and it really kind of weighs heavy upon them. Whereas other individuals will be convicted about the same thing and, and recognize the same fault in themselves, and they just kind of don't treat it. doesn't weigh as heavy upon them as it does uh, somebody else in the room. And the reason for this is because of the experience of being born again, that, that, that Christ and the kingdom and the gospel have a, a different weight in their lives. It has a, a different feel to them. It has a different um, conviction and, and weight and, and seriousness about them because they're seeing Christ and they're seeing the gospel and they're seeing the Bible in a different way. That's a gross, in many ways, that's a, that's a great generalization about things, but I think it does help explain the different responses that we have to Scripture and to God and to the work of the Spirit at any given point in our lives. And here is Jesus saying to Nicodemus, if anybody could be in relationship with God, if anybody has a good track record with God, is there anybody who's ever done the right things and knows their Bible, if anybody uh, could have a relationship with God, it would be him. And Jesus is saying, even to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And I hope the takeaway for you when you hear that is a sense of encouragement, a sense of hope. If even somebody like Nicodemus needs to be born again, there's hope for me. Because I know I'm not uh, religious like him. I'm not as, I don't know my Bibles like this person. I don't have the, the history and the education and the influence and the ministry like him. If he needs to be born again, there certainly is hope for me that God would bring that new birth into my life. Next question, what does it mean to be born again? Look at verses 4 and 5. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are thinking, Nicodemus, that is the, the silliest thing to answer. You know, of course, of course Nicodemus knows you can't go back into the womb and come back out again. The point of Nicodemus answering it and having his follow with Jesus is he wants to know the answer. Jesus, what do you mean by this? What do you mean one needs to be born again? I need to understand this more clearly. I'm not sure I'm tracking with you. How does that happen? And Jesus is, is clear to say it's an action of God. It's something that God initiates. It's something that God, by his Spirit, does in an individual's life to bring them to the point where they are what he calls born again, where they have this understanding of Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and what it means to know him and to have faith in him and to be associated with him. It's an action of God that brings complete change. I've heard it explained like this. Maybe this will help. When we saw Nicodemus earlier on, Nicodemus is, is starting to engage with Christ and saying, you're this great teacher. And it's like Jesus cuts him off uh, right there and he says, you need to be born again. It's like he's going right to the, the core of the problem. 
And what he's saying is sense of it's, it's not so much that you think what's important is that you think it's not important that you think that I am a great teacher. Nicodemus, what is important is that you have to see me as your savior. It, don't see me just as a great teacher. And if you do the right things and you live a, a certain way and have the right creed, that you'll, you're going to be with the in crowd. It's more than that. You need to see me as a savior. You need to, there needs to be deep transformation that happens in your life. It's not that you need to live your life better, Jesus is saying, Dick and Demas. You are doing right. You're following all the laws, and therefore you're accepted. He's saying you need new soil. You need a new heart. You need, more, you need deeper, uh, complete transformation for ent- to enter into the kingdom of God, to, to be a believer, to, to know me in this saving way. Uh, maybe think about it like this. My mother-in-law used to live in Florida, and as a good Floridian, she had, an, of course, she had an orange tree in her backyard, okay? And she, we would see every year we'd visit her, this tree would get bigger and bigger and start to produce these oranges that you could really eat as oranges. And say, for example, she said one day, you know what? I don't want an orange tree anymore. I want to have an apple tree back there. And so she looks online because everything online is true. She says, fine, so if you want to have an orange tree instead of, or an apple tree instead of an orange tree, what you need to do is take all the oranges off, just prune it away, clean it up, and then apples will start to grow. She does that, and apples don't start to grow. And so she goes back to Pinterest, and she finds on Pinterest, you know what you need to do if you want to make an apple tree from an orange tree you need to, after you've pruned it away, what you need to do is pin apples to the branches. That will make it into an apple tree, okay? Do those, do those things. And, of course, she does that. You know what happens? Oranges just grow. And you know how silly it is to think that you can make this tree an apple tree from this orange tree. What needs to happen to have an apple tree is the orange tree needs to come out and the apple tree needs to be planted there and the point is of the new birth, and Jesus talking about how you need to be born again, to enter the kingdom of God is not about you believing a certain creed. It's not about you performing and living a certain way. All those things are important, but what is essential is that your heart and your life needs to be transformed. Your heart needs new soil. Your roots need to grow in something different than what's already there. That's the point, that's the, the, the need and how we are transformed by what God does in us. You can prune back your life. You can say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a better person. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to start giving away my money. You can do all those things, but that's not going to bring any lasting and real change. That's not going to make you a Christian. Having the right creed and the right actions is not going to make you a Christian as important as those things are and how, as important as obedience is, but what makes you a Christian is the work of the Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, where there's that deep transformation that takes place in us. Where we're planted in new soil, in different soil. We have this transformation going on in our lives. We're brought into a different realm, so to speak. Last point, how do you know if you are born again? How do, you, how do you know if, if this transformation is happening in your life? There's a ton of ways we can answer that question, but I want to offer one uh, way, and that is growth. Is there growth in your life? Look at verse 8. 
Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, how does this help? The the Holy Spirit is the one that initiates, that drives this new birth, and it's something you can't control, but you see its effects all around us. We live in an area where hurricanes are a threat, at least part, during part of the year, and you know a hurricane when it comes. Okay? You, can't, you can't physically see the hurricane, but you know that a hurricane is there because you see its effects. You see branches on the ground. You see that your, your power is out. You see that trees have fallen down. You see that there's uh, no water and bread for some reason at the Walmart. You, you know the effects of a hurricane because of the results that it leaves behind. And that's the same, Jesus is saying, about the work of the Spirit. You you can't see the Spirit, but you know it's been there by what it's left behind. And that's why I say growth. When the Spirit comes, he leaves us in a different spot. He leaves us as different people. It may not be visible, but we know he's been there because we see a change happening in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and how we are, are living and what's going on there. It may be slow. It may be small. It may be big strides. It, it may be radical change happening, or it may be incremental change. When I say change, I don't mean perfect. When I say growth, I, mean, I don't mean that you are perfect, but the trajectory of your life is, is moving in a different direction, that you have different convictions. You have different um, uh, patterns in your life, that you have different... Um, responses to things that are going on. In some ways, growth means that you're struggling more and more with your sin in your own life. And so it's, it's reasonable to ask, what is your spiritual growth like? What is your spiritual life like? Is there evidence of the Spirit of God working in and through you there? It would be very funny if you came to somebody at Walmart and they said to you, man, did you see that incredible storm last night? And you're like, what are you talking about? Because you look around and there's no trees down. The, the power is still on. There was no storm last night. There were no great winds last night. Is there spiritual growth in your life? Is, is God working, shaping, and willing? Are you being more responsive to who he is? Think about um, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Measure your heart against what's there in Galatians 5. Uh, are you selfish and self-absorbed because the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. Are, are you anxious and depressed, worried, because the fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace? Are you irritable? Do you have a short fuse because the fruit of the Spirit is patience and kindness? Are you prideful? Are you able to admit your wrongs when it's, in, when it's appropriate because the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's, it's humility. The Holy Spirit in our life brings change. Does that mean the absence of struggle with our sin? No. The, the, the Spirit in our life is going to bring struggle with our sin. It doesn't mean perfection, but the trajectory of your heart is moving towards Christ, is moving towards God, it's moving towards the gospel, towards worship, towards love for God, love for our neighbors, love for others in our lives. Think about it like this. Jesus mentions the kingdom of God here twice in this passage, okay? This is the only time in the Gospel of John where the kingdom of God is mentioned specifically. There's other references to the kingdom, and the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God all over the place. But John talks about it specifically here. 
And to have the kingdom of God means there is a king. And Jesus is coming forward and saying, I am that king. And to know his kingdom, to be associated with him as the king, means you know the rule and reign of Christ in your life. And you respond to him differently than you would if you were outside the kingdom. You respond to his commandments. You respond to his promises. You respond to, in a moment, this uh, sacrament that, that we have before us here. We respond to it with a sense of, of earnestness and seriousness and weightiness and a sense of need because we need him, because we are identified with his kingdom. Let me close with this. There's different responses you can have to the idea of, of being born again. Some of you are, like, relieved. It's like, yes, I, I, this I've, I've seen this in my life, this pattern in my life, and you resonate. It resonates with you. Some of you are amazed. You can think through those, those, that, that period in your life where you saw that transformation. Oh, God reached into your life, and out of nowhere, he seemed to change you and bring you to a knowledge of yourself, of himself. Some of you and some of us, at, at, all of us at some point, we, there should be a sense of, of sadness, there's a sense of brokenness. We hear this talk about being born again and being associated with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and being associated with Christ as our king. And there's a sense of sadness and brokenness because we know we don't measure up. We hear this talk about the fruit of the spirit, and it's like, yeah, I'm irritable. Uh, I'm a grump. I'm impatient. I, I do not want to confess my sins. If, I don't want to apologize to my spouse. I don't want to do these things. And there's a sense of awaitingness about us. And the encouragement for us should be distinct and real because Jesus says you are in a perfect place because the kingdom of God is for those who know their brokenness. They know where they fall short. The kingdom of God is for those who know their need for a Savior. And Jesus is preparing us and moving us and reminding us that we belong to his kingdom. We belong to his realm. We belong to his truth, his reality. There's all kinds of circumstantial things going on in our hearts and our lives, but the kingdom of God is that true truth that we are belonging to. In John chapter 1, we saw this weeks ago, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you want to believe in his name? Are you believing in his name? Let's pray together. Father God, we are thankful for your spirit We're thankful that it doesn't depend upon us, that you would give us eyes to see your truth, your reality, your glory, all that you are. Father, we want to know and feel and experience and belong to this kingdom. And we pray that you would have your will, your spirits working in and through us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.